So Mark 10, starting reading at verse 13. This is God's word. Then they brought the little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms and he's laid his hands on them and blessed them. Now, as he was going out on the road, he, one came running, kneeling before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honour your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God... All things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there was no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first amen we end our reading there at verse 31 and we thank god that he blesses us through his truth In another one of the Gospels, Jesus says these words, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And to illustrate that truth, preachers often ask the question, If you woke in the middle of the night to a fire in the house, what is the one thing that you would lift? What's the one thing that you would lift from the house? It's a revealing question, isn't it? It it shows us those things that we treasure. It shows us where our hearts are. 
Now, parents would go straight to our children, of course. But what if people were eliminated from the discussion? What is the one thing that you would save? In the modern world, not many people have lots of cash in the house, but maybe some of you here still have a shoebox or a suitcase somewhere that you would run to and rescue from the burning building. But it's more likely to be something of sentimental value, isn't it? Perhaps a photograph or an important piece of jewellery. Maybe a family heirloom that just can't be replaced. For all of us, there might be that one thing, and the fire scenario brings it to mind, that we just couldn't imagine life without. In our passage today, we come across a man, and we're told that this man has great possessions. And for him, his possessions were the thing that he couldn't live without. They were his treasure and his love for his possessions was so strong that he wasn't willing to give them up to come to Jesus. But as we dig down into the passage today, we're going to learn something very important about the Christian life. And what we learn is that when Jesus is our treasure, we have everything. When Jesus is our treasure, we have everything. We're in a section of of Mark's gospel, which is designed to teach us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In this section, there are many interactions between Jesus and other people. But what we see in our passage today, and this usually happens in Mark's gospel, is that the focus at the end of the passage shifts back to the disciples. And so Mark is trying to show us as readers, what does it mean to be a disciple? He's putting us in their shoes. Now we know what the disciples know by this stage, that Jesus is the Messiah and he will suffer and die for his people. And so this section of Mark wants us to know that being a disciple of Jesus means that we will suffer too. It means that we have to live in a different way from the rest of the world. It means that we cling to Jesus, that we take up our cross. It means that we go through suffering for the sake of the gospel. And we know that in Christ, And in him alone, there is treasure. There is treasure in Jesus that this world can't offer us. And then after this world, after this life, there is glory in Christ for all eternity. But Jesus wants us to count the cost. He wants us to consider what it is to give up the things of this world and follow him. Because it's difficult to leave behind the things of this world. It's difficult, but it's worth it. It is worth it. Because when Jesus is our treasure, we have everything. When Jesus is our treasure, we have everything. Our passage today kind of splits into three sections. But all three sections are getting at the same main point. When Jesus is our treasure, we have everything. 
You can see it if you have your Bible open there. The, the three sections focus on three different people or groups of people. We learn some slight, something slightly different from each one of those. From the children in verses 13 to 16, we learn that to receive the kingdom of God, we have to start with nothing. And then in the next section, verses 17 to 22, we learn that we cannot contribute anything to inherit eternal life. And finally, from the disciples in verses 23 to 31, we learn that in the kingdom of God, we receive everything. We receive everything. We'll begin with verses 13 to 16 and the little children. And we've already said in previous weeks that Jesus loves the little children. And it's demonstrated again in these verses. The crowds are bringing the children to Jesus so that he can bless them. They want to receive the blessing of Jesus for their children. And the disciples, well, they rebuke the crowd for doing that. But Jesus has a harsh word for the disciples. You can see it there in verse 14. Jesus was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. Before I move to saying what this has to do within the context of the whole passage, let me take another moment today to reaffirm what I've said before and what comes from the lips of Jesus at this point. Children, you should come to Jesus. Parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, we should not forbid them. Rather, we should bring them. We need to bring our children to Christ. We need to not be a hindrance in them coming. How do we do that? Well, we do it in a few ways. We need to be diligent as parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, big cousins. We need to make sure that Bible reading and prayer are a normal part of life. And we model that to the children in our lives. Both for us as individuals and as well, there's an extra burden on parents that you would read the Bible as a family. We need to model to our children what it means to come to Christ. What it means to have a relationship with Jesus in prayer. What it means to repent whenever we sin. And we should bring our children to church each Sunday. To sit here under God's word. God's word is doing a spiritual work in the hearts of his people. Even even if the children don't understand very many of the words. And boys and girls, can I assure you that most of the grown-ups don't understand a lot of the words that I use as well? But we're learning together. And God's work is spiritual. It affects our hearts. We can explain those words. And if the grown-ups do understand them, they can explain them in the car as you drive home, around the dinner table. But that's also why we bring our children to Sunday school, to Good News Club, to JYC, to Bible studies, so they can learn. So they can learn the Bible, they can learn the catechism. And so as we grow physically, 
Boys and girls, you, you learn more and more about mathematics in school. You learn more and more about English and history and geography and science. Well, as you come to church, you learn more and more about the Christian faith. And it makes more and more sense to us. Grown-ups, we also bring our children to Jesus in our prayers. I hope that you pray for the children and young people in our congregation. We are a family. This is one family, and so we should pray for our children. We should pray that they will come to faith in Christ, that they will grow as his disciples. Don't we just long for our children and young people to embrace Jesus as their Lord and Saviour? Well, that's not something we can force upon anybody. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit will do that work. Jesus Jesus welcomes the little children and he rebukes the disciples for trying to keep them away. Please don't be guilty of the same mistake as the disciples here. Boys and girls, young people, I want to tell you again and again and again how much I love having you here with us in worship each Sunday. It is such a joy for me to see you and to hear you. I love having you here because it's here in this place that Jesus speaks to you. I recently heard a story of a minister who asked a couple to remove a crying baby from worship because he had worked so hard on his sermon and it shouldn't be interrupted. So sad. So, so sad. You have my permission. If I ever say something like that, parents, take me aside after the service and point me to Mark chapter 10. Let the little children come to Jesus and do not forbid them. I need to get back on track. I'm passionate about that topic. I could go on and on about it for some time. But we do need to see what's going on in the wider context. What is Mark getting at in this section? We need to realise that children in those days weren't very highly thought of. And what they were was a financial burden on their parents. Now, having children was really important because it was children who would look after you when you got old. But while they were still children, they didn't hold much value. However, in our passage, what does Jesus say? Jesus says the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, Jesus is saying that children can be part of the kingdom, a part of God's covenant people. But I think he's saying not just that. I think he's also saying more than that. There's a broader point. Jesus is saying that for us to be in the kingdom, we need to be like a child. What that means when we take it along with the rest of the passage is that when we come to Christ, we come worthless. We come with empty hands, like little children. We bring nothing to the table. We come to Jesus to receive, not to give. And so we start with nothing. I'm reminded of the story, and I heard it again recently, 
of the shepherd who came to the nativity scene to see Jesus. Now this isn't in the Bible and it's most certainly not true, but hear me out. This shepherd came to see Jesus and before long he realises that he's the only one who has shown up empty-handed. The other shepherds, well, you know what the shepherds brought. If I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. So they have lambs with them. And in his embarrassment that he didn't have anything with him, he turns to leave. But just as he's leaving, he notices a commotion over near the manger. The wise men have arrived. And of course, they're showing everybody else up with their gifts. And there's Mary holding Jesus and and Joseph takes the gold and and he takes the frankincense, but now his hands are full. And and so Joseph turns to Mary to take the myrrh. But Mary is carrying Jesus. And so she turns to the shepherd, the shepherd with his empty hands, and she passes Jesus into his arms. He had brought nothing. Nothing. But that is exactly what makes him able to receive Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we come like little children. We come like that shepherd. We bring nothing. Nothing but the sins that require salvation. And that, friends, that is the gospel. That is good news. In order to receive the kingdom of God, we come with empty hands. The kingdom of God, being a Christian, being part of the church, is not something we do. It is not something we bring or something we build. It is something we receive. Like a child who has nothing, we come to Christ with empty hands. That's reinforced for us in the next section of our passage in the man in verses 17 to 22. He shows us that we can't contribute anything to our salvation. Nothing. We cannot contribute anything to inherit eternal life. This man's often referred to as the rich young ruler. And like the little children, he comes to Jesus and he asks a question. And this is a really important question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I wonder how you would answer that question. Imagine you're asked by a friend or or a family member, what do I have to do to get to heaven when I die? How would you answer that question? It's an evangelist's dream question. But in the moment, even the best of us could be thrown by it. Let's look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. Now, we know from last week that when Jesus uses the law here, he doesn't actually expect this man to have kept the law. The very point we learned last week was that we cannot keep the law. In fact, the law just shows us how sinful we actually are. And this is demonstrated again by what happens to this man. Something we might not notice immediately is that Jesus quotes from the second table of the Ten Commandments. But crucially, he leaves off the last one. Do not covet. 
And that is crucial because it is the commandment that deals directly with the heart. Do not covet is not about outward actions like the other commandments. It's about the inward life of a person. Now in Matthew's gospel, Jesus demonstrates that the other commandments are about the heart too. He says looking lustfully is the same as committing adultery. He says being angry is the same as committing murder. So all the commandments are about the heart. But Jesus allows this young man the opportunity to answer as he does. You see his answer in verse 20. Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. So this man thinks he is justified because of the things he has done. He claims to have kept all the commandments that Jesus mentions. And even if we think about his initial question, it implies there is something he can do to inherit eternal life. This young man has not understood the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that we cannot contribute anything to eternal life. We do not bring anything to the table. We don't make a contribution. We simply come to Jesus. And we say, I am weak. We say, I am sinful. We say, Jesus, will you be strong for me? Will you be holy for me? I know there are people here today like this man. People who are unsure why you would need Jesus. Why you would want to inherit eternal life. And why you would want to get to heaven when you die. And maybe you do want those things. And, and, and instead of trusting in Jesus, you're trying your best to keep the rules. You think, if I do all the right things and I say all the right things. But that is not the gospel. It is so sad to me. And I have sat around enough deathbeds and been at enough funerals to hear over and over again, he was good. She was good. And that might be true. But that's not what matters at the end of the day. What matters is, are we trusting in Christ? There is nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. You must come to Jesus and receive. Receive it like a child. You have nothing to contribute, not your works, not your behaviour, not your wealth, not your gifts, not your talent. Jesus doesn't need any of them. But he does want you. He wants you to realise you have nothing to contribute. He wants you to realise you do not deserve eternal life. But yet, you can still receive it. That is grace. That is the gospel. And so that is what Jesus tries to show this young man. He gets to the heart of the young man's issue. He points out there is one thing the young man has not done. He might have kept all the rules, dotted the I's, crossed the T's, but his heart is filled with love for the things of this world. And so Jesus suggests, go and sell all your possessions. But despite everything he's done, he can't do that. His heart isn't drawn to Jesus. His heart is owned by his things. 
He thought he had something to offer to the kingdom of God, but Jesus wants him to know you have nothing to contribute. Eternal life is something we receive. This point is further explained when Jesus turns to the disciples. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. I don't know if we have time today to get into this in depth, in in the depth that might require. So I want to try and explain it as simply as possible. Jesus does not say it is impossible for a person with wealth to enter God's kingdom. And that is good news for us because in global terms and in terms of, of wealth throughout history, well, all of us in this room are in the top 10% of the richest people ever. Maybe even the top 1%. But Jesus doesn't say it's impossible for us to enter God's kingdom. In fact, he goes on to respond to the disciples' question in verse 27. He says, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For God, all things are possible. And we've already seen that our riches are certainly not something we contribute to eternal life. We come to Christ with empty hands. But Jesus does say twice in our passage how hard it is for those who have riches to enter God's kingdom. And that should be pretty obvious. You see, when you have nothing in this world, you are able to realize more quickly that Jesus is all you need. When Jesus is your only treasure, because you don't have any earthly possessions, then you know that Jesus is all you need. But when you have lots in this world, and let's face it, most of us have plenty, then it's harder to realise that Christ is all you need. It's so much easier to become obsessed with stuff when you have lots of it. It's easier to allow things to consume you And it's hard to come to Christ with empty hands when it means letting go of the things of this world. I'm not saying we need to go and sell everything we have. I don't think Jesus is saying that to you either. But he is saying, make sure your things don't own you. Make sure you own your things and don't let them own you. Hold on to the things of this earth very loosely. Don't waste your life chasing after something that will turn to rust in 100 years' time. Especially if it means giving up on eternal life in its place. Always, always choose Christ. Because when we have Jesus, we have everything. I have to commend you in this congregation We do well. Our finances are good. Finances have held up very well throughout the whole period of COVID and you give exceedingly well to the work of the church and the work of mission. I want to thank you for being generous. I want to encourage you to keep giving to God's kingdom. Make sure you're following the biblical minimum standard of giving 10%. And I want to encourage especially the younger people among us. Don't give because you think that giving will bring you eternal life. It won't. But do hold your money loosely. Be generous 
in giving to the church. As our congregation gets older, we're going to need the young people to make sure that they replace those who have gone before in faithful giving. And perhaps be even more generous as our church and I mean not just, the, not just here in King's Mills, but across the whole Presbyterian church as we shrink in number. Younger people are going to have to be more generous. But all that to say, when we pass into eternity, we don't take the stuff with us. So we shouldn't cling to them. Come to Christ with empty hands, knowing you can't contribute anything, neither works nor wealth your salvation but we have to move on we have one more point and i will be quick on this last point in the kingdom of god we receive everything jesus says this to his disciples if you look at the end of our passage verses 29 and 30 assuredly i say to you there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says, give it up and you'll receive it 100fold. What can he possibly mean? This is not prosperity gospel as some might think of it. This is Jesus teaching what the kingdom is like even as we experience it in the church today. Just have a look around you. Look around you, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. In this family, we are one. You have received brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. And the amazing thing about the church is you could go to Brazil today and you could be amongst family, gathering in the church to worship. Our family is so much bigger than a hundred times our earthly families. Let me say as I close, this is extremely important for our work as witnesses in the world of today. As we move away from Christendom, as there are less and less people growing up in the church and, and knowing the church as a family, we're going to hopefully... In God's will, we're going to see converts from Roman Catholicism, from Islam, from homosexuality, or whatever other idolatry people might convert from. We're going to need to provide a family for those people. They're going to be leaving a family behind. Mark my words, if a Catholic person was to convert to the Reformed faith in our culture and context, they would be leaving a lot behind. But here in Mark 10, Jesus promises them they have more to gain. They have everything in the kingdom. And that means that we, you and me, we have to be a family. We have to provide hospitality like Jesus promises. It's not without trouble. There will be persecutions. Jesus says that. We expect that from conversion. But we need to be the gain that people know coming into the kingdom. Friends, this passage, there's so much to say about it. It's an important message for us today. But the center of it is that when Jesus is our treasure, we have everything. To receive the kingdom of God, we have to start with nothing. 
We can't contribute anything to inherit eternal life, but in the kingdom of God, we receive everything. And that's because we receive Christ. Let me pray for us.